Hello, hola, and konnichiwa. I am your host, Daniel Gumby Vreelin, and this is the Prelim Primer, the one and only podcast fully dedicated to the curtain jerkers. Of course, I'm talking about those fighting on the prelims of upcoming UFC fight cards. This weekend, UFC 262 live from Houston, Michael Chandler versus Charles Oliveira, the lightweight title on the line. But of course, those of you who frequent the show know we're not going to be breaking down that title fight or any of the other great fights on this main card. No, no, no. This is the prelim primer where we just give you the lowdown on the early portion of the card. Now, for those of you who might be new to the show, you might be asking yourself, why? Why not break down this amazing main event? Why just stick with the prelims? And the answer is really simple. The answer is you know about Michael Chandler. You know about Charles Oliveira. You probably know about Tony Ferguson, Benil Dariush, and so many of the other fighters on this main card. But those of you who don't know about are the ones that that open up the show. And, and really, that's where there's a lot of money to be won if you're playing daily fantasy sports or straight-up gambling. Or, hey, maybe you just want to win your Pick'em Contest this weekend. And speaking of Pick'em Contest, I would be remiss if I did not mention that the prelim primer is brought to you by Fanatics MMA. Fanatics MMA is the most comprehensive MMA pick app that exists today. They give you fighter bios, records, odds, all in the palm of your hand while you make picks. And let me tell you something. My favorite part of this is the scoring system because... You know, so much, many of those apps out there in so many different places, they just score by wins and losses, whether you got the pick right or wrong, and maybe they got some sort of weighting system, but it's always trash. This one is amazing. They use the Vegas odds to score the fights, so you get odds for picking, you know, closer fights than you do picking chalk the whole time. So it's, it's really like a fighter IQ score, and, and that's really the best part of the Fanatics MMA app. Now, there's also all kinds of other great things that I'll tell you about in the app a little bit later in the show. Of course, you got to wait for the breaks in the round. And while you wait, why don't you head on over to Fanatics MMA? You can get it in the Google Play Store or on the iTunes Store as well. And just download that app. And, and when you get that more information, it will be in the palm of your hand. So before we get to the breaks in the round, I, of course, have to have the rounds. And in order to have the rounds, I also do need to have a savvy co-host. Joining me today, you might know him from BJPen.com, Cole Shelton. Cole, thank you so much for joining me. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me on. All right, guys. And as you know, we start each and every round by putting five minutes on the clock. And we're going to start this round by talking about Jacare Souza versus Andre Muniz. So Jacare has actually lost three straight, but those losses are to Jack Hermanson, Jan Blankovic, and Kevin Holland in the weirdest fashion ever with Kevin Holland, two of that. His last win was in 2018 when he beat Chris Weidman. Muniz, meanwhile, 2-0 in the UFC. He beat Antonio Arroyo and Bartosz Fabinski, both by decision, since he's arrived. Obviously, Cole, this is an interesting matchup, because you've got a veteran who's on a losing streak. You've got a young up-and-comer on a winning streak. Getting kind of his first real test against a veteran. I guess my question to you to start this off is, how much have you written off Jacare as kind of an aged fighter at this point in time? I've been someone, I actually picked Jacques Ray to beat Kevin Holland just because I was never really high on Kevin Holland. I picked against him a lot of his fights just because I never trust that takedown defense, but he obviously surprised me with that knockout. But it, Andre Muniz, it, it's just such an interesting matchup because he's a grappler and that's Jacques Ray's strongest asset. Like even with his age, like he can still grapple at the highest level. So you're not really going to be able to outgrapple him, but can Muniz outstrike him? It's definitely possible just because Jacques Ray has slowed down. He doesn't throw as many strikes. He gets hit quite often. Like Jack Manson, who's not known as the best striker, out, easily outstruck him. And even he wasn't too scared to go to the ground. So I wouldn't even be surprised if Muniz tries to out uh, grapple him. But this is really the fight where 
it's going to tell if Jacques Gray is really past his prime now. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. And I, I'm actually on board with you. I, I not only picked Jacare to beat Kevin Holland, but I say that in a rematch, I'd still pick Jacare to beat Kevin Holland in his trash takedown defense. How many times do you land a, a knockout from the seat of your pants? Uh, so, yeah, I, I kind of agree with you. And it's it going to be interesting. What do you think if Muniz does try to take him down and winds up grappling here? What do you think that winds up looking like? Yeah, it's definitely interesting because Muniz has looked so good. Like, he submitted Bartosz Fabinski, but Fabinski's a guy that gets submitted for as good as a wrestler he is. He gets submitted quite often, but i honestly not sure who... I, I think Jacare on paper is the better grappler, but his MMA grappling, just his movements are obviously slowed down, so maybe Muniz can scramble a bit faster and just kind of wear down Jacare and get a lot better on the ground. It, I'm not even sure if it hits him out. Like, maybe Muniz just tries to outstrike him because he has a like a six inch reach advantage. I wouldn't be surprised if that's his game plan to just maybe just jab up Jacare, but I think if it hits the mat, I'd slightly lean towards Jacare being the better grappler. Yeah, and I, I think that would be a wild game plan to decide to go to the ground with Jacare, especially like you said, with the huge reach advantage. So we're just about to the end of this breakdown, so I got to ask you who you got in this one and how do you got him? I got Andre Muniz by decision. I just think he's just going to be able to outstrike kind of Jacques Ray. And Jacques Ray, for as good as a grappler, he is just like most grapplers, bad takedown uh, attempt. So I think Andre is just going to be able to stuff the takedowns, keep it standing, and just use his jab to uh, uh, just kind of pick him apart and win a decision. But I would not be shocked if Jacques Ray turned back the clock and ended up just tapping over his knees. Yeah, and I, I'm going I'm to make that my official pick. And I don't know if it's a nostalgia pick or if it's a pick – uh, based in any reality, but I- I'm going to go with exactly that. I think he turns back the clock enough. This sort of feels like an Omari Akhmedov, uh, Chris Weidman loss here for Muniz as, as he kind of learns from the veteran who everybody had written off. And that brings us to our second fight, which is Andrea Lee versus Anton- Antonina Shevchenko. Lee has also lost three straight. She lost to JoJo Calderwood, Roxanne Matafari, and Lauren Murphy. Of course, that is a great list of fighters to lose to. Montana De La Rosa was her last win in late 2019. Shevchenko, meanwhile, 2-2 two two in her last four. Of course, she last beat Ariane Lipsky back in November with some ground and pound. So my question here is both of these fighters do like to use their physicality quite a bit. They like the clinch. They like, you know, sort of pushing people up against the cage. Both of them tend to like to grapple a little bit, too. Who do you think has the physicality advantage if it does wind up in one of those situations? Uh, I think Shevchenko would probably be stronger, but wrestling-wise, I think Andrea Lee's going to be a lot better wrestler. I think that's her kind of path to victory. We saw it with Caitlin Drukagian, who is not really known as a grappler, just took her down at will. Roxanne Modafferi took Shevchenko down. Like For as good as a striker Shevchenko is, and being a Shevchenko sister, you'd think her grappling would be good, but her takedown defense is not the best. So I think if it's on the fence, it's kind of where Shevchenko's the best in that clinch, she's using their Muay Thai, like that kind of range is where she's the best, where I think she'd be better Andrea Lee, but if it goes down to the ground, I think that's where Andrea Lee could have a lot of success, just kind of uh, in the grappling and the wrestling exchanges. Yeah, and you mentioned she's best in the clinch too, and, and I think the problem with that for me in, in wanting to pick Antonito Shevchenko here is that just lends itself to the takedowns that you mentioned of Andrea Lee, right? If she's going to be in close quarters, that's what Andrea Lee wants, and and, you know, not for anything, you know, you mentioned she gave up the takedowns to Chokagian and, and to Matafari. She also gave down a takedown to Lucy Pudalova, which, like, you know, not for anything. Lucy Pudalova, also not a real grappler and, and not even with the UFC anymore. So, uh, yeah, I'll give you my pick first this time. I'm going to go with Andrea Lee by decision. How about you? I am the same way. I just think Andrea Lee uses her wrestling and kind of just grinds out a decision. Even striking-wise, I wouldn't be surprised if Andrea Lee's a better striker as well. 
All right, and that's going to do it for the end of our first round. We're going to take a quick break, speak with our sponsors, and we will be right back with round number two. All right, guys, I mentioned at the top of the show, I was going to tell you a little bit more about the Fanatics MMA app. You can go test your picks on that app against me. That's right. You can see my picks piece by piece on the Fanatics MMA app. Show me that you know the picks better than me. Because you probably listen to this show. You're like, this guy's an idiot. I can pick better than him. Prove it. And here's how you do it. Now that you've downloaded the Fanatics MMA app, and if you haven't, I highly suggest that you do, go on to the Top Turtle MMA podcast, Twitter or Instagram. It doesn't matter which one. And you're just going to click the profile link. Once you do that, you will see Play Against Us on Fanatics MMA, a link right there on our, our linked or our uh, campsite page. Click that link. It's going to bring you right to our group. You'll automatically join it, and you can test your picks against me each and every week. Now, make sure you head on over and do that. I'm going to tell you more about the app later on in the show. And we are back with round number two. We've got to put another five minutes on the clock. And we're going to start this round by talking about Lando Venata versus Mike Grundy. So Venata one and two in his last three. He beat Bobby Green, his or lost to Bobby Green rather in his last time out. Mike Grundy one and one in the UFC. He lost his last time out to Movsar Evluev back in July. So uh, my question for you here is Bobby Green was sort of able to out wrestle Venata, right? Like Venata had some difficulties there with the takedown defense. Do you think that Grundy can follow that game plan well enough to also steal one here from Venata? Yeah, I think he can. That's a problem with Lando Venata is he has like his takedown defense is not best. Obviously, Mike Grundy took down Mavzor Evlev six times in their fight. Like, he didn't really do a whole lot with the takedowns, but Evlev's a lot better back than what Venata is. I think Grundy should just be have kind of a wrestling heavy game plan, and especially Lando cutting down to 145, which I'm not the biggest fan of because I thought he was. I honestly think he's better at 55, but because I just think Grundy's going to be able to take him down and just kind of control him, similar to what Bobby Green was able to do. Yeah, I'm so low on on fighters going down a weight class. There are very few who I've ever thought that that was a great idea. Actually, there will be one later on that we talk about in the show that I'm pumped about. But um, yeah, Lando Venata doesn't seem like that makes a lot of sense. And in addition to that, too, there's a lot of wasted movement in his strikes, right? Like he throws a lot of spinning stuff, you know, a lot of really flashy stuff. And, and if he's going, I'm going to be worried about his cardio, and then he's throwing that stuff on top of it. You know, it just doesn't bode well for a fight against a guy who has that style of Mike Grundy. So, I mean, I guess we're burying it here. It seems like we're, we're both pretty high on Grundy here in this type of matchup. But I guess my question for you is, then is there any chance that Grundy gets him out here? I don't think so. If you look at Lando Banana, that guy is so durable. Yeah. Like, you have to look back to Tony Ferguson when Tony Ferguson submitted him. Other than that, his loss is like, he went to a draw with Bobby Green the first time, lost a Tamer decision, Chakar Close decision, uh, Dia Casey decision, Bobby Green decision. Like, he's a tough guy to finish. He he does get hit a lot on the ground. He does struggle. Like, he, there was a chance at uh, Mike Grundy to submit him, but Mike Grundy on the ground, more a position over submission kind of guy. Where So I just think he'll kind of just go for the position and kind of use ground and pound and just kind of grind out a clear decision. Yeah, and I couldn't agree with you more. And if you look back at Mike Grundy's, uh, you know, record, even on the regional circuit, he's got one knockout and it happened in his debut. That wasn't even on the ground. He does have eight submissions, but I will say, you know, like the, the level of people he was submitting, not quite Lando Venata style for me. So, yeah, I'm going to go with Grundy by decision as well. 
And that brings us to our next fight, which is Jamie Pickett versus Jordan Wright. Pickett lost his UFC debut to Tafon Chukwi back in December. He lost that by decision. Before that, he was 1-2 on the Contender Series and still managed to bag himself a contract. Wright, meanwhile, also coming off the Contender Series, but then he's been 1-1 one one in the UFC. He won his debut against Ike Villanueva by cut. And then most recently was knocked out by Joaquin Buckley back in November. So, obviously, one guy looked a little bit rough on the Contender Series in Pickett, which, you know, is going to give you some pause in thinking about picking him in a uh, UFC fight. But the other one, if you look at his regional circuit, has fought some of the worst cans I've ever seen in my life. One of these dudes is 0-22 with 21 first-round losses. Uh, So, I guess my question is, which one of those resumes scares you more? I think Jordan Wright's. Uh, it's a guy, I don't really think either guy are UFC caliber. Like, I wouldn't be surprised, like, this time next year, both of them aren't even on the UFC roster anymore. They just lose a couple in a row. But even Jordan Wright's uh, still in the Twitter series. Like, Anthony Hernandez, who's not really known for his knockout power, went out and just knocked him over 40 seconds. It's a no contest now because... Uh, he tests positive for marijuana, but which is stupid. But <laughs> at least Pickett, like he has fought a lot of good competition. Tefan and Chukwi, like the, although he just lost, like that's a tough out for really anyone. Uh, Puniel Soriano, like I think he's a real dark horse in the division. I think he can go pretty far. Uh, Charles Bird, that's obviously a bad loss. I think if I think if they were to fight again, obviously I'd probably favor Pickett. But Pickett has fought the better competition. I think he's more well-rounded. And I just don't trust Jordan Wright's chin. Like, Anthony Hernandez, the first shot kind of put him down. Joaquin Buckley landed some good shots, kind of put him down pretty early. Like, oh, could have got him out of there in the first. And other than that, like, when he's not getting hit, he's fighting these Alaska FC guys who are 0-20, like, 0-10 that aren't any good. So I'll take the strength schedule and I'll take uh, Jamie Pickett. Yeah, I, I agree with you on this one. I, I'm really low on, on Jordan Wright, and I don't mean that in, in a mean way or a disrespectful way. But, like, he, he also has a style when he comes out where he looks confident that he's going to get the knockout. And I, I've just never seen that against anybody actually work, right? Like, he did get Ike Villain a wave out of there, but on a cut. And, like, I, I don't know. If that fight goes longer, I, I'm not sure I don't pick Ike Villain a wave in that fight. So... Yeah, I'm going to go with Pickett here, and I'm going to say I think Pickett can knock him out. So I'm, I'm going to give Pickett by KO. How do you see him winning? Yeah, I see him by KO too, just because I think Jordan Wright's a guy that if he doesn't get that first-round knockout, like he doesn't really have a whole lot left. And Pickett's a tough guy. Like He took, I would say, and Chukri probably hits a lot harder than Jordan Wright, and he kind of took those fights. So uh, Punahil didn't even finish them. I think that Wright's probably going to look good in the first round, and then eventually Pickett's going to find that finish in the second or third. I like it. And that's going to do it for the end of our second round. We're going to take a quick break and we will be right back with three more fights in the third round. All right, guys, we hope during the last break you joined my group on Fanatics MMA. Let me tell you something that's really cool that you're in the app. You can actually chat with your friends on this app. That's right. If you're watching the fights, you're looking at the fighter bios, you're checking out the odds, you're seeing if your picks are doing well this week. You can also just head on over to the chat function. Maybe you don't want all the noise of Twitter. Maybe you don't want to see all the people who are popping up on the screen at the UFC broadcast. Instead, you just want to talk to the people who you, who you run your picks against every week. Hey, maybe that's Gumby himself here that you can you can check your picks with. So send something in the chat. We'll chat back and forth during fight night. And let me tell you something. It is a lot of fun to be able to see your picks scored and be able to brag to your friends a little bit. So once again, if you haven't downloaded the app, I highly suggest you do Fanatics MMA.
And we are back with round number three. I'm going to put another five minutes on the clock. And we're going to start this round by talking about Gina Mazzani versus Priscilla Cachuera. So Mazzani started her UFC career at one in four at 135 pounds. She didn't look great doing it. She got released once, came back, lost another one. Since then, she's gone down to 125, and all she did there was absolutely put a beating on Rachel Ostovich back in November, so she's 1-0 since dropping down to 25. to meanwhile, lost her first three UFC fights, somehow got another shot, and all she did was knock out Shayna Dobson back in February of 2020. Of course, she's been on the shelf a while since then. Now, my question for you is I want to start by talking about Mazzani and her cut down to 125 pounds. She looked like a completely different fighter, but I want to know... Are you buying that resurgence at 125 pounds, or are you selling it as just a beatdown of, you know, maybe a subpar fighter? Uh, I think it's kind of both. Like, I talked to her and James Krause before that move, and they were kind of thought she was a 125er. And Tim Elliott, too, who was her partner, thought she was a 125 the entire time. And she obviously switched camps and went out to James Krause, which I like a lot. I think that was a favorable matchup for her to kind of beat up Rachel Ostovich, but... I think 125 is where she was because at 135, like if you look in that Avia fight and the Macy Shisan fight, like she was just so much like overwhelmed by their like strength and power that she couldn't really hang with them at 125. I'm not, I don't really know if that's going to be a problem right now with her, especially the level contest she's fighting. Yeah. And I think you're so spot on about, I'm, I'm glad you brought up the Shisan and the Avila fight because those are two massive women, right? Like those two are so big and you're right, like, Mazzani's game, too, is conducive to wanting to be a bully a little bit, right? Like, she she needs to be the bully, and she certainly couldn't do that against those two. So, I, I think the move is a real smart one, and now, I guess, just the question is, is how well does she fit in this weight class, and how well does that play against somebody like Priscilla Cachoeira? I, I think it's going to fit well in this fight, because Priscilla Cachoeira, for some reason, I don't even know why, did pick her against Gina Dobson, maybe that was more of a fit on Dobson, but... I'm not high on her at all. She has kind of, to me, she has one round of cardio where if she can't get Mazzani out of the first round, which is definitely a possibility because we've seen Mazzani get knocked out in the first round, I think Mazzani's just going to be able to really just control her out striker in the second and third and may even potentially put her away. But this is a fight where it really, it's kind of weird too, where Gina Mazzani's the second biggest favorite on a card. Like, when would you ever think she would be that big of a favorite? But I think this is a style-wise that really fits her well, where she can just kind of clinch up that first round, kind of just gas out Cashware and then just take over in the later rounds. Yeah, and I, I think her cardio is going to hold up at 25. I mentioned at the beginning I was worried about Lando going down. She looks like she made the cut down expertly. She looks so good down at, at 25. So I'm going to take her to, and I'm, I'm going to say the same thing, late stoppage, and we'll go, we'll go TKO on my side. Uh, and that brings us to our next fight, which is Tucker Lutz versus Kevin Aguilar. Lutz, 11-1, making his UFC debut. He won twice on the Contender Series in 2020. He beat Sherrod Blackledge back in November. And before that, he had beat Chase Gibson in September. Aguilar, meanwhile, started his UFC career 2-0. And since then, he has lost three straight. Of course, those three straight are to tough opponents in Dan Ige, Zabira Tugoff, and Charles Rosa, the most recent being in June. So I, I'm going to be honest, like, it seemed like when Dana White watched Tucker Lutz on the Contender Series, he wasn't all that impressed and almost seemed reluctant to give him a contract. What do you think of him in those bouts and his prospects for being a UFC uh, fighter at this point? Yeah, obviously on the Contender Series, that's not the kind of style of the way you want to fight to get those contracts, especially back-to-back decisions. I'm honestly surprised they signed him. Maybe it's just because... They made him go to the Series two times in a row in a span of, like, what was it, two and a half months? Yeah. 
I, I, it's definitely an issue. Like, I don't know how well he's going to fare at this division, especially lightweight, super deep. I don't think he's the most well-rounded fighter where he could have some problems later on. He still is 26. He has tons of time to develop, but it's definitely one where if he can't impose a will, like, I do want to see what he's like on the feed. Yeah, I think this is a really bad matchup for him if it stays on the feet, right? Kevin Aguilar hits like a truck sometimes. So uh, it's interesting to me what will happen if it doesn't get there. But I guess then the question is, is can Tucker Lutz impose his will and bring it to where he wants? I think he will. I think this is a good enough fight or a good enough style matchup where Tucker Lutz can just kind of clench up and wrestle him. Like uh, Charles Rosa, I, I got him down and Aguilar, I'm surprised he is getting another shot. Like, I guess he's the Texan guy and the one, the local guy, but I just think Tucker Lux is going to be able to grab Kevin Aguilar. And Aguilar is a cardio or something else. Like, he seemed to tire out quite off, quite a bit in that Rosa fight. So, I think Lux is going to be able to wrestle him and probably just add another decision win. Yeah, and I'm going to go with the same thing here too. We're we're agreeing a whole heck of a lot on this prelim card. I, I like Tucker Lutz here by decision. I don't particularly like it as something I want to play because, like you said, there are those question marks. But uh, for sure, if I gun to my head, I, I'm taking Tucker Lutz by decision. And that brings us to our last fight, which is a real weird one. It's Christos Iagos, who's 3-1 and one in his last four. He last beat Carlton Minus on short notice back in December. So he's on a hell of a run, and he's fighting Sean Soriano, who uh, was 0-3 in the UFC. Of course, that was in 2014 and 2015, a long time ago. Uh, he then lost a couple of fights outside of the UFC as well. Since then, has rebounded, has three straight wins, including a KO of Noah Blahat back at UAE Warriors. That was in March, so he's he actually fought only a couple of months ago. And, and you know, I've seen him a couple of times since his release, and, and I'm I'm wondering if you've seen enough of it, and if so, what do you think? Is, is there enough change that gives you more hope for this time around? Uh, he has looked better than Noah Lahat, knockout surprisingly, just because uh, he's a guy that was a Bellator veteran, had some success in Bellator, but other than that, like he did struggle, like uh, getting submitted against Bruce Boynton, like I don't think I'm very good at all, so that was definitely a good loss, but he's obviously been Michael Chandler's one of the main training partners, he's one of the coaches at Sanford, like if you watch a lot of the Sanford guys, he's in their corner a lot, so obviously getting a lot of good work, I know him and Chandler are super close, so Obviously, that can only help, but uh, Gigos is such like, a weird fighter because you don't really know. He beats all the guys he's supposed to, and you don't really know if Soriano's that guy, like, if he's supposed to beat him or if he's not. Like When he gets that step of a competition, Jakar Close, Charles Oliveira, he lost his first in the UFC. Like, uh, Gilbert Burns, he lost. Chris Wade, he lost. Then he goes out, loses to Josh Emmett. Those are all guys that are on paper better than him, but everyone else below that, like he just kind of wipes them out, especially Carlo Minas last night. just kind of took him down, outstruck him. I'm interested in what Soriano's takedown defense is like, because I wouldn't be surprised if uh, Christos just tries to out-wrestle him. If you look at Soriano's kind of career, especially after the UFC, it's, a lot of it is struggling once he gets on the ground, either getting tapped out or ground and pounded out. Yeah, I, I was at that fight in CES when he fought Levon Makashvili, and I, I just I thought that to myself. Like, he, he had left the UFC, and I was like, man, he just his takedown defense is just not there. And then, you know, you mentioned the Boyington fight, which, you know, Bruce Boyington kind of he's a the best way to describe him is he's a journeyman and i don't mean that disrespectfully but he's 17 and 12 in his career uh and he's mostly fought just about anybody you can think of on the northeast regional you know Dan andrews and andre harrison and like he just fights the guys and, and again he loses to those guys with the exception of sean soriano who he happened to tap out i am worried about his his submission defense right because boyington tapped him makashvili tapped him if you go back to when he was in the 
the UFC, Charles Rosa, Kawajiri, like, and, and of course those guys can all grapple a little bit. You know, Giagos has got a good ground game. He doesn't have a ton of submissions. You know, he, he was a wrestler in high school. So I guess just, just then is the question, how do you see this one ending? I think uh, Giagos is probably going to cry a decision. He's a guy that doesn't finish a lot of people. I do think if he's going to finish a guy, like this is the perfect fight because Soriano's taking him short notice. So I wonder what that card is going to be like, especially if it's a grappling heavy fight, it's just going to tire him out more. But I think if it's, not a late like submission or ground pound just gonna be uh chris Doss guy goes like a clear cut like all three round decision yeah i totally agree with you on that one I- i'm gonna take him by very clear cut decision 30 27s across the board I-, I think he's just too much for soriano and hey maybe we give soriano a full camp it might be a little bit of a different question but uh yeah i just don't have a lot of faith in him stepping in here late and that's gonna do it for the end of our third round we guys gave you seven fights in just a little bit over 15 minutes i once again want to thank my co-host you can find cole shelton's writing on bjpen.com and of course you can follow him on twitter at cole shelton 91 cole thanks so much for joining me man yeah no problem thanks for having me on man